<clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel, which we get up this morning. I, I'm feeling a little tired. Just it's been busy, and Sundays are just a good day to to really look forward to that nap and, and just busy week and another busy week coming up here and all of those kinds of things and whatever our mood is this morning as we get up as uh, um, maybe the rain we're happy to see it or maybe it makes us depressed or uh, whatever this past week has been maybe it's been a great week maybe it's been a really challenging week very hard week whatever it is Thank you that we can walk in here this morning and remind each other that your promises are still true and that the life that we have in the gospel because of your grace, because of your love and solely on the basis of your choice and your merit. If we are in Christ, which I, I believe we all are this morning, that we can come in here with full assurance of faith and knowing that we haven't lost our salvation since the last time we looked at John 10. We thank you for this security. And as this morning, we take a little more time to just touch briefly on this topic. Um, uh, thank you that you have us in your hand as the good shepherd who stops at nothing to protect his sheep, even his own life. And Father, thank you that you also have your hand on us. You protect us and you are keeping us and reserving us for the inheritance that is also preserved by that same power in heaven. What a truth that is. Remind us of this this morning as we look at this uh, truth a little bit further in this uh, uh, beautiful image of the shepherd and the sheep. In Jesus' name. John 10, um, on your outline, back of the, the page there, We've been going through, um, we've been through point number one, right, setting the stage. We took some time to look at the Feast of Tabernacles, right? We also took a little time to look at uh, Solomon's porch, just a little history behind that. Remember, that's where the church also started meeting, right? Kind of interesting historical and architectural, architectural, uh, archaeological tie-in there, I guess you could say. And then the angry mob of Jews surrounds Jesus. And we looked at that. And don't miss that. That's important. That's telling us a lot about their attitude. They didn't want him to escape. We're going to get this thing done now, right? We're gonna, he's here. What a great opportunity. All of us are here. We're here in the temple. What, a, what better place to put an end to this wannabe Messiah than right here, right? What did you say, Erica? We're taking them out. That's right. That's right. We wanted to do that. Um, so I've got a visitor coming in. Good to have you, sir. You can pass Roma sits there, but you can take his seat. You can. Long day yesterday. Long day. Yeah, you know about that. It's a mom. Bernie told her. All right. So that's point number. Do you need a notes this morning? Yes. So that's point number one in your outline. Point number two, uh, and this is this is where we were last time, and this is what we're finishing up here today, and we're going to move forward in our outline. Um, Lord willing, 
Jesus responds to the Jews. So this would be verses 25 through 30. So let's read that together. John 10, 25 through 30. Bless you. So remember they had just asked him in the prior verse, how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. We know that's not really their interest. They, they, don't, they already know the answer to that. They just want him to say it so that the crowd doesn't fault them for stoning him. That's really what is going on, right? So let's pick up with verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you, verse 26, do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. All right, and we said last time, you know, you might expect him. I mean, if it were me or you answering this, and you were the Messiah, and you knew that, and you had been, you know, how many times that, or guys, all right, all right, let's, let's end it right now. I am the Messiah, okay? Is that clear enough for you, right? So we talked about that. Why, why this little bit of ambiguity? Because... Again, in John's account, remember the Samaritan woman at the well, I who speak to you am he. Very, very, very clear. No ambiguity, no missing that at all. But with them, there's no record, at least in John's gospel, of him coming directly out and saying that. However, through the works, and what he's saying here is the works testify of who I am. And all of the signs were there. John the Baptist certainly did, right? And we went back and we looked at chapter 5, where Jesus had already, years before, given them many witnesses to who he is, including the Father himself. The Father had spoken from heaven, and will in chapter 12, by the way. Again, one more time, the Father himself, we'll see that when we get there, it's an interesting study. You look at all the Gospels, the Father speaks audibly from heaven three times. And the Father himself bears witness to that audibly. That's power. Okay? But Jesus gives them four witnesses. Okay, The works, John the Baptist, the Father, and the Scriptures. Specifically Moses as author of Scriptures. Okay, And he had already dealt with this issue years before. That's why he's, he's, not, he's not inaccurate when he says, I already told you. Because he did tell them. Okay. But what he's doing here is he's, he's saying, okay, instead of me telling you, which I know we've already been down this road. You can't bear witness to yourself. Remember that? They said that. Yeah. You bear witness to yourself. Your witness means nothing. Right? Mm. They'd already said that. So he's, he's, and he's already dealt with that as well. Okay? What he's doing here is he's saying, all of these works that I've been doing for the last almost three years now, bear witness, undeniable witness. Okay, the problem is not 
that the message isn't clear. The problem is you don't like it and you don't want it to be true. That's the truth. By the way, that's the same truth today. It's not that the Bible is full of error or, or is, is full of contradiction. There are parts of it that are harder to read than others. I was talking to Rick before we got started this morning about the Old Testament. He's in Exodus and you know, reading through all of, all of the slaughter of these animals and the blood that's everywhere. And, and you read that and, and you read the law, you know, and, and not just the Ten Commandments, but all the detail of the law of keeping the Sabbath and exactly how that plays out and how you punish somebody or even an animal touches the mountain, you know, you're to kill it. I mean, just all of this stuff, right? And you read all of that, the heavy, you feel the weight of that justice of God in there. And it's, it's not a pleasant thing necessarily, but um, the fact of the matter is that, that we don't like it. And so we'll come up with any excuse not to believe. It's not that the light isn't shining. It's that you don't have eyes to see it, like the man in chapter 9, right? And it's the same thing with them, and that's what he's saying here. But we looked at last time, and, and this was, you all saw the text that I sent out. Um, I think everybody saw it. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was last Sunday, you know, it, as, as, he's, as he's unfolding this and answering that and referring to the works, I do in my Father's name bear witness. You do not believe because you're not part of my flock. He kind of changes gears in verse 27. Uh, and so what we're doing is, if you look on your outline there, okay, if you look on your outline there, I got it. Pastor, yeah. okay, <laughs> there. No, that's okay. I, gotta, I don't need that. I didn't know this. Okay. You look at your outline, point number two, okay, has two subpoints, right? Letter A and B. Letter A, his works from the Father bear witness. We've looked at all those passages there, right? They knew that already. But that letter B is, and this is where we were last time and where I want to finish up this morning and move on. His sheep given by the Father also bear witness. So the first one, his works from the Father bear witness. And then number two, or letter B, his sheep given by the Father also bear witness. This is an interesting Point when you look at it from this perspective, he is. Notice this too that he's not. He's not slamming them for how dare you question whether I'm the Messiah. I am Jesus, right? No, no. He he is answering them with evidence and proof, apart from his own testimony that they can see that bears witness to it. And this is an interesting one as well. Um, it's not disconnected from their question, right? And that is, beginning with verse 27 there, my sheep, um, uh, actually I guess it starts with verse 26, but you not believe because you were not part of my flock. That's the negative side, okay? So people who don't receive the gospel are giving evidence that they're not part of his sheep. A positive statement starts in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. They believe. They hear. They don't just, like Larry said, the difference between hearing and listening, right? They don't just hear, but they listen. They, 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 you know, they're, they're the sheep. Out of all of those sheep that are out there in that flock, when he speaks, they're the ones who pick up their head and get up and respond and come to him, right? 
The rest of them hear it, but they don't respond because they're not his, right? And that is also a witness, which is interesting. And notice that it's a witness not just to the unbelievers, but it's a witness to the sheep themselves. So if you hear his voice, if you can, like, again, Rick was telling me, he's like, man, I'm just really getting into the, to the word. I'm 60 years old now, and I'm like, wow, just really beginning to, to grab a hold of these things. If you can say that, if you can say that you are growing in your Christian life, and the word of God is meaning more and more to you, and you're getting hungrier and hungrier for it, or, or just your, your hunger isn't dissipating, maybe I should say, you know, that you enjoy this, right? That you, it's hard to get enough, right? It's like, tell me about the gospel again. Oh, this is a great aspect, okay? If, if you find that to be true, thank God for that. Like, like Jesus said to Simon Peter that one time, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. It comes from the Father. If your heart is responding to his voice and you see the glory of the Father in the in the face of Jesus in the scriptures, you can thank God for that because it's a witness to you of the reality of who he is and of your participation in it. And you're part of his sheep. That's That's awesome. So we want to talk about that a little bit more this morning. That's why I sent that text out because the the very next day after last Sunday, the next Monday um, on the Grace to You app, uh, they, they released... They have the radio program there, but if you go to sermons as well, they, they'll, they put out the very latest sermons that John is preaching, like today, you know, or will preach today, um, that type of thing, assuming he is. They'll, they'll put the full, full, full message out there. And so that full message just fits so well with this because he was talking about, and this is what I want to just, just mention here, Assurance versus security. And I hadn't really thought about it in those terms because when we look at the rest of this passage there where it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one snatched them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. We talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. What we didn't do was was make it clear that that's what uh, theologians call security, okay? That's security. That is to say that some people think or teach even, and John says this in his message. You haven't heard that. I really highly recommend you do that. It's just really great for what we're talking about here. Um, but, but some people teach that um, you can, when you come to Christ and respond, you hear it and you respond, that you your past sins are covered, but that your future sins aren't covered yet and you have to keep kind of repenting and coming back and uh and john basically says you know same thing that i've noticed here too and i was trying to say last time is when you read that phrase where he says i give unto them or i give them eternal life the way this is in john's phrase the way i say it is what part of eternal don't you understand right what part of eternal don't you understand? Because when he says eternal life, he's not talking about existence that goes on forever. Because that's true of people who are in hell. 
That's why I misunderstood for a long time. I was like, well, yeah, but people in hell have eternal life too. But that misses the point. And what we're going to see is particularly will come home in chapter 11. We'll see that again where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not stuttering. He's not saying the same thing in two different ways. They're two parts of a whole. Okay. And what you, under, what you understand there is when you study exactly what he's saying to Martha there just prior to raising Lazarus is that the per people who come to him and receive that resurrection of the spirit first and then the resurrection of the body later are already in a state of life. They have crossed over from the place of death and condemnation that you're born into into a, a state of life and that transition is permanent that's what it means for eternal life not that your existence is going to last forever that's true of everybody we've already seen that in chapter five where everybody's going to be resurrected everyone believers and non-believers okay my wife asked about that one time she was like surprised really non-believers yes non-believers are going to be resurrected okay. watching okay no videos Huh. Okay. Um, so in chapter five, he's already established that everybody's going to be resurrected. Everybody's going to have an eternal body forever, right? That's not the issue. The issue of eternal life is that you have already passed out of death and condemnation into a state of blessing that will never revert back to what it was. That's what eternal life means. That's a permanent change. Okay? It's not existence forever. It's eternal blessing that never reverts. And that, that's so important because as you're dissecting what it means to be forgiven of your sins, uh, again, I've heard people say, and I kind of used to kind of, before it was really solid in my thinking, kind of believe this too, that God forgives and forgets. Right? You heard that? Got to forgive and forget. And I just, I've heard people say, maybe you struggle too. I can forgive that person. I can't forget. Every time I see that person, they really hurt me, you know? And I can't forget that. But that's not what the scripture teaches. What it means is, is to not hold it against them. But I heard a preacher say one time, and I really like this. You and I can forgive, but only God can atone. You and I can forgive, only God can atone. When it uses, Scripture uses the language, God forgives our sins, it's using anthropomorphic language that we can understand. In other words, language that we can grab a hold of. But we don't know what it is to really truly atone for sin. The animals that, that they slaughtered and all that endless blood that just flowed forever in the tabernacle and later the temple uh, is a graphic picture to try to help us get close to understanding atonement. But as the writer of Hebrews says, it doesn't, the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin, right? Werner used to draw that point home all the time. He was one of his favorite books, right? He was always talking about that. And, and what he's trying to help us understand is that only, only the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist calls it, who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Only that is effective. Okay? And the reason is, is only God can atone for sin. You and I can't do that. If somebody violates you, 
and they come back later or you violate them and you have to ask for forgiveness what what that means on a human level is that yeah the debt's still there but i choose not to act on it i choose not to hold it over your head anymore i let that go i just release that but the debt is still there and so we have to be careful when we're dissecting forgiveness with god that god's forgiveness doesn't work that way he doesn't take our sin and say oh you oh, okay you're sorry for your sin and, and 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 jesus you know he did this thing on the cross I'm not sure what that is yet but okay so so all right, we'll just pretend that that didn't happen i'll just put that in here and we won't see that come on into heaven you know ten thousand years later we're singing praises and everything and he's fumbling around one day and oh, there's, there's a lot of water in here I don't know whoa, whoa 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 what is this that's your sin you see you want god to atone for your sin because if he doesn't, if he forgives like we do on a human level, it could come back up again. And I guarantee you, Satan would be sure to bring it back up again. That's what's so good about having Jesus as our advocate. Because he can, he can shut Satan down because Satan is not up there arguing with God about whether they're forgiven or not. Jesus says, I died for that. It's paid for. When I hung on the cross and said to Telestai, that is literally it is paid, then it is done. It is finished. That sin is not just swept under the carpet, hidden somewhere, you know. No, it's it's done. It's paid. The debt is paid. And Satan, you have an empty case. You have nothing to say. That's good. There's therefore now how much condemnation? No. And that is eternal security. And you want that. You want that because without it, there's always the chance that some sin would come up at some point. Whoops. And then it's, it's like the proverbial trap door opens and out you fall from heaven into hell. Right? No. You are eternally secure there's no chance of going back assurance then is our subjective and this is the point that john is making that message and i didn't want to spend too much time on all this because we need to move on but i wrote this down okay uh security if if you want a definition the objective eternal nature of god's solution for our sin. Notice those words. Objective, eternal nature of God's solution for our sin. That's security. Assurance is the subjective, temporal nature of our faith in light of the application of God's redemption to us personally. So while God's security okay so the let's put it this way in in salvation in the gospel <clears throat> you have this potential for eternal life that's there and we and you can agree with that and you can you may disagree whatever but let's say you agree to that right let's say okay yes jesus died for not just any sin but for my sin and that's there the atonement is there the, the potential is there 
and I can be forgiven. And I know and believe that if I am in Christ, it's a permanent crossover, and I'll never go back. And all my sins, past, present, and future are all covered in that, okay? Let's say I believe that. That's the objective, eternal nature of God's solution. It's set in heaven. The, the law is satisfied. Debt is paid. All of that. The possibility is there. The offer, you might say, is on the table. The trouble comes then with assurance. Do I have that myself, right? Do I possess that? Am I, have I crossed over from that state of death and sin into which everybody is born into that permanent state of eternal life? Have I crossed over? Two different things, right? One is security that, that those who are there are secure forever. Okay, that's good. But assurance is, how does that apply to me personally? When that doctrine intersects my life, does that, because the time to find out is not after you've died, right? It's too late. You need assurance. Do you think God is concerned about believers having assurance? Absolutely. John said that message, thought it was very good. He says right at the, right the end, he says, God wants you to enjoy your, enjoy your salvation, enjoy your eternal life, not just in heaven, but now. He's right. People who struggle with this and wrestle with assurance don't have comfort. Don't it robs you of your joy and peace. And, and I think I think that's a tool of Satan where it, you know, failing to keep you out of the kingdom of God. That's really what he wants to do. He wants to keep you from getting there in the first place, to getting into security, right? But failing that, then the next thing is he wants you to, he wants to at least rob you of the joy and the peace in this life that God wants to bless you with now, right? And he has a number of tools in his chest to do that, but assurance is a big one, okay? Assurance is a big one. You know, you're, you're not, you shouldn't, what are you doing praying? You deserve to pray after that sin you didn't commit. Right? You ever had that? How many times do you have to come back to God and confess the same sin again and again and again? You must not be saved. Right? What does that do? It starts to cast doubt on your, um, your state with God, your state of grace with God. That's assurance. Okay? That's why I put subjective. So let me put it this way to you as I was thinking about it this week. The word faith... Okay, which I don't We had um, F-A-I-T-H, right? There's two definitions for faith in the Bible. And if you don't know this, then you'll get confused. Okay? When you read about faith, faith is super important, right? Saved by grace through faith. Kind of important. Yeah. All right. <laughs> There's two definitions for faith. I like to I, I think of it helps me to remember the two definitions this way. The first definition is capital F, faith. So in your mind, picture the word faith with a capital F. That definition is, you can put the word the in front of it. The, capital F, faith. You got it? What that means is, in the gospel, for example, Jude <laughs> says, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation and all this, but I had to write to you, to contend earnestly for what? For faith. The faith. That means 
the body of doctrine of truth that God has, God the Father has given to the Son. The Son has faithfully preached that to his apostles and disciples. We're going to see in chapters uh, 13 through 16 that I have more to say to you, but I can't, you can't bear it now. I'm going to go to heaven, back to the Father, but I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit will continue imparting this truth. All the truth that the Father has given me, I want to give to you through the Spirit, right? And so they wrote the New Testament, and this whole body of truth, both Old and New Testament, is the faith, capital F. That's definition number one. Definition number two is little f, faith. And you can put the prefix in front of that my faith definition number two is your assimilation and ingestion of that truth into your own life into your own understanding so that like rick was talking about earlier he's like man i'm 60 years old i'm just really beginning to understand this old testament thing that is you adding to your little f faith so that so that you're putting more of the pieces of the puzzle together it's like it's like a puzzle, right? You buy a puzzle, and on the front of the box is a picture of the completed puzzle, right? That's what it's supposed to look like. That's the faith. That's the standard right there. That's the whole picture. Little F faith is me opening the box, dumping the pieces that are all random out there, and beginning to assemble it from what I see on the cover of the box in my own mind. Does that make sense? And it's beginning to really sink in. Oh, oh, I get that. I get that. Oh, and you start putting together pieces of all of the richness that we have in Christ. And you start seeing that picture come before yourself on the table. Exactly. And it starts to, now watch this, because this is how it intersects with assurance. When you start learning about security, like we are in, in John 10, it you start really beginning to to ingest that and it becomes a part of your life and over time you will grow in assurance it will get stronger stronger I, I, this is not just a theory this has been true in my life i there have been times i struggled with assurance in the past but the longer i work i walk with the lord the more i study his word the more i see the wit and I know that the witness of the Spirit is speaking to me from the Scriptures, and I'm seeing more and more, and that picture is beginning to come together. And now when I read Scriptures today that didn't make sense 10, 20 years ago, now they're alive, and they're full of life and meaning and depth. And I'm just, sometimes I read Scriptures, and I'm weeping. I'm like, wow, this is so profound. That is because the faith is becoming my faith. Does that make sense? And that's where assurance grows and the strength of commitment. And you know in your heart that you're his child. Okay? Because the security that's already set in heaven is now becoming a personal assurance for you. Other people see that. Other yeah. people, other people yeah. see that. That's right. And you become bolder in your witness. I don't care what you think. I mean, the Bible's true, man. We, you believe it or not. You know what I'm saying? As it was before, it was like... <laughs> you know this kind of thing all right so i really like that what john said listen to that message but here we've looked at this and one other thing i want to say look again at verses 28 29 i give them eternal life they will never perish <clears throat> notice that jesus is saying that twice there basically right never under any circumstances 
I'll give them eternal life. They're never going back to that perishing state, right? Okay. And then what? No one will snatch. How many translations don't say snatch? Anybody not say snatch? End of verse 28 there. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, next verse. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to what? Snatch. snatch. Now, I, as I was studying this past week, I was like, wait a minute. I could have sworn we just heard this word not too long ago. Do you remember where that word is? Back up. New Bible. Boys with me, right? I'll go next one. Sunday school, not Sunday school. Okay. All right. Back up to verse 12. Somebody read that. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Ding! Okay. So whenever I see something like that, I'm like, let me reach for my handy dandy literal word app, right? Dad knows about that. That's good. That's a good app, right? And you can look up those Greek words and you can find out where they're all used. Guess what? It's the same word. Arpizio. Arpizio. That's I'm saying it, right? I know I've heard this word before. Um, and, and you may have heard this, I don't know. But what it means is, it's in the Greek, it's the word meaning to seize, to catch up, snatch away, or carry off by force. And I think that's a key idea. It's not, it's not willing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an overpowering. Okay. So it's not the word of, hey, baby, come on. Let's go. Let's go take a cruise. Come on. Oh uh, yeah, let's, let's go, go take a cruise. Hey, let's go. As long as it's a Viking River cruise. Right, Viking River cruise. We're going right now. <laughs> you see that? That was not harpizio. That was not a snatching away by force. That was a willing accomplice right She's there. She's dragging you. She's dragging me. I'm, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it may be harpazio in the reverse. But it's the idea of a greater force overcoming a lesser force. And taking that away, <clears throat> snatching it away. Okay. So not only is that word then used three times in John 10, guess where else that's used? It's used in several other places, but notably, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4, <clears throat> where, where Paul talks about a man who was harpizio into the third heaven. He was snatched up caught up some translations say caught up into the third heaven same word a greater force than paul took him into the third heaven and showed him some things that he was not able to talk about remember that okay that's that word but the but here's one i want you to see that probably knows where this is going do you know where the other one is famous one first thessalonians four seventeen. All right somebody read that First Thessalonians four seventeen. And we who are alive, who are left, 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Same word. I've heard people say, people, particularly those that don't believe in the doctrine of the rapture. Well, the rapture, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. That's not true. That verse uses the Greek equivalent of the word rapture. I did a little word study. Again, it's very easy to do, not hard. The word rapture comes from the Latin. And the Latin Vulgate uses that word, repoir, I think it is, in the Latin, to translate this Greek word for snatch up or catch away. For caught up. It's the same Greek word. Now, um, I said unwilling earlier. That's not exactly true. I think I think it's more accurate to say a greater force acting on a lesser force to take them away. And it can also be translated, uh, the word rapture can also be translated transport. Remember in our hymns, some of the hymns we sing, our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see, okay? Our wonder, our rapture, being caught up, taken away out of the mundane of this world into the heavenly visions of seeing Christ is what it's communicating, okay? Uh, Paul says the upward, he talks about the upward call of God in Christ, right? This idea of, of physically, it's almost like spiritually we're being called away all the time when we're reading the Bible. We're, we're hearing the call of God and we're being caught up into the heavenlies with Christ through the word of God. And as you study more, as the faith becomes my faith, I'm caught up in that, right? And then one day, physically, what Paul is saying here is you will be raptured and caught up physically into the presence of the Lord. It's the same word. Now, back to John 10. Think about how that relates here in this text. What Jesus is saying here is you are doubly secure as his sheep. His sheep are are absolutely secure. There is no one. Jesus would be enough, right, as the, as the shepherd. He would be enough to protect us, unlike that hireling in verse 12 who doesn't care, and then the wolf comes in. The wolf doesn't just picture the devil, I think. I think it's, it pictures any danger that, is, that has an intention of, of overpowering the sheep and taking them away. Putting this all together, what he's saying is, it's not just your state of salvation eternally, okay, but your walk even now. My sheep don't just respond a little bit to my voice and then leave and, and never come back like the disciples in John 6, 66. My sheep come and they stay because I keep them there. The Father keeps them there. No one is able to overpower them and take them away from, from me. Right? No one is able to, to snatch them out of my Father. There's no power greater than the Father and the Son together working to keep the sheep. So one of the songs that, that I'm growing to, to love and, and that uh, we're going to sing as a church, hopefully, sometime whenever I can learn this course together, is He Will Hold Me Fast, right? It's a great song, great song, because it embodies this doctrine. 
that, that he is holding us fast. There is no one who is able to overpower him, pry his hand open. And even if they could pry the father's open, then Jesus is there. You know, I mean, it's, one of them is enough, but they're both working together to keep you and I firmly secure until we receive the fullness of our salvation and you walk in and receive your inheritance, which is preserved also for you, Peter tells us. Isn't that awesome? All of that is secure. Your inheritance in heaven is secured by God, and your life now on earth is secured by Him so that you will both arrive at your destination and you will receive your inheritance. That's security. Assurance is then making sure that you own that, and that you're growing in your confidence in that. How do you do that, Peter? How do you do that? That's a great question. So, how do you do that? How do you grow in assurance? We've already kind of Hinted at it by talking about the faith versus my faith. Staying in the word, fellowship, prayer, be like mine. Anything else? I think we have hard times sometimes. You want to go to heaven now. Yeah. Like when life's disappointing, it's like, why am I still here? Let's go to heaven. Let's be with Jesus. And all my problems will be gone. You know? That's what I think. <laughs> it's hard to be patient sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, patience, you're right. It would touch more on patience, but I don't know how that helps you with assurance other than to say that I'm ready to go. Um, you know, it'd be terrible to be, be ready to go to get there and find out that heaven's not for you. That's where assurance touches, right? It's, it's not just being convinced of the security of salvation. That's not enough. It's convinced of my salvation, my participation in it, my own person. Personal. Personal. So how do you grow? And I think Rick is right. You know, I mean, it sounds so trite to say, study the word of God, you know, be faithful, obey scriptures. You know, what is part of that? Part of the obedience is prayer. Part of the obedience is regular attendance to church, right? Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves again. It's not habit of some, right? But, but continue to come, continue to invest in God's word in obedience as you learn more of invest in that obedience, continue to study. It sounds like, oh, and you know what? <clears throat> I have to say this. I know we're, we're just about out of time. But it's so important because there's so many people running around the church today who are just bored with God's word. I need something more, right? One of those that's been popular for a long time in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement is I need an experience. I need a dream or a word from God. A fresh word from God. Sometimes I'll throw that in there, right? His word always fresh. Right, as if his word were stale or incomplete in some way. I think it's because they don't have the Holy Spirit there with their life. Yeah, they don't do that as a charismatic. Ouch. Here's the thing. What, what does Peter say about that? God has given us everything. We need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and grace, right? And so we have already everything that we need for life and God. It's all right here. You don't need anything else. Paul says that, that Christ and the apostles are the foundation. 
he's not adding any more to that foundation. He's building on that foundation by bringing people, stones, Peter calls them, like we're all being like stones added to this temple, okay? So Jesus is, God the Father is, and Jesus are growing the church up, but they're not growing it out. There's nothing missing in the foundation. It's all there. I think people getting bored, Rick, <laughs> a very pointed point there, they're looking for something extra because they don't have, maybe, don't have the Holy Spirit in the first place. Maybe the Word of God isn't speaking to you because you're not his sheep. Ouch. There's a possibility, but we don't like that one. I'd rather have the dream and the fun little testimony, you know, on a hyper Sunday morning <laughs> where we're playing, you know, 50 strains of Amazing Grace or whatever song or you know, we're all just really into it, you know. You know, I'm really I'm feeling I'm feeling the presence of God today. Well, what happens Monday when you are feeling the presence of God? You're stumbling around with your coffee at work, you know. Does that mean that God's promises aren't true? No. See, that's where you've got to be in the word, right? If you don't if you can't believe the promises that you don't know about, you gotta know about them. And you can't obey commands that you aren't aware of. Right? Gotta be here. Gotta be here. God has given us everything we need. Grow in the faith. I think David has hand up first. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's okay. No, I was. That's funny that you said. Yeah, in Second Peter, because <clears throat> um, I just went over that this week, and it, it is neat because it says that through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us the precious. His precious and very great promises. But then it continues to say, um, for this very reason, mm -hmm. make every effort mm -hmm. to supplement your faith with Be virtue um, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self control, mm -hmm. self control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. But then it says, for um, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Like, not all the time we're gonna stumble, we're gonna fall, we're gonna pick ourselves up, we're gonna keep on going. But if you, you know, if you see that increasing, even in small, you know, minute things, if, uh, you know, but if you, if you see these, then it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. I mean, it, there's got to be a little bit of something there. You got to keep on growing ever so slightly. It's like putting, taking off the old and putting on the new. But I just thought, and it says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. That's assurance, isn't it? That's the big thing. That's, That's assurance. the assurance part is that if you're getting all laid back, comfortable, and you're just kind of like, I'm so bored. Okay, like this whole life is like no fun. I'm bored, whatever. Then apparently I have forgotten what he has done for me. Mm. So I need to get back to the gospel. That's right. And be in that. So when you said the second Peter, I was like, yes. You got it, yeah. Erica. And second that's, and Peter, there it is right there. That's how it's answered your question right there. there that's it, right there. So when you said that, that's what it is. I see a little bit of. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. He says in that same context, though, with that, is to become 
short-sighted. You've been swallowed up with the immediate problems and the, the things that bother you, and you've lost focus for the distance, what God is doing. And he does say to make your calling and election sure, to, to cooperate with God so that you're confirming his calling in your life. So you, you, what you do, like you say, is important, but you can do things and not be saved just having Christian works like that. It has to be a focus of some of the world. And I think it's one of the things that helps me is to continue to be examining my faith and our relationship to the children by mind. Mm-hmm. And ask myself motives. That's why I like the parable of the sower so much. I see the parable of the sower as uh, fruitlessness in life as an indication of not being saved. If you don't see any evidence of it in your life, mm-hmm. uh, it's a good indication that you're religious but you're saved. That's, 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 a, that's a powerful yeah. point. Yeah, it is. It's worth yeah, saying again. If you're fruitless, yeah. you're not seeing fruit in your life. It's an indication you're not safe. That's what John MacArthur been talking about the last two weeks. Every uh, some things he's been telling us to you is examine, examine, examine your life daily, examine your life daily. And it's been really good. I didn't get a chance to listen to that. The last one yesterday because my modem was done, but it was really good because it really all he's talking about the last four or five sessions is sins in your life, sin in your life, sin in your life. And then before that was how do you know you're a Christian? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This again, the word assurance come up several times in speaking. But back in the word, when when something pops out at you, something little, and again, like I shared with you this morning, it's it, at my age and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. That is a blessing. Yeah. Okay. I may I may see something out totally different. I look sometimes totally different. I was talking about Aaron this morning. I, I was like, oh my gosh, that poor guy. He, he gets all the high stuff. priest Aaron. Yeah, high priest Aaron. Yeah, he gets all this. Yes. It's okay, Dinah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not slaughtering animals. In this room. <laughs> and he gets all this, this, you know. And I look at that and I'm like, but you know what? This holy God's cleansing, and it just things like that pop out of me. I'm just so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the goodness. Paul says in, in Romans eight, <clears throat> phrase that kind of puzzled me for years. The witness. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How does He do that? By taking the Word of God and making it clear to you and assimilating it and, and building your faith. And so it's, it, you have those moments like, oh, 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 I get it now. That's so cool. Never saw that. And you start to see more and more and more of the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus. If that's not you, you're not saved. Period. If the Bible is boring after years of it, you know, and and and, and you got to have something else. I've got to have something else, some other writing, you know, some other really cool teacher over here, some cult, right? Uh, or, or charismatic experience of some kind or something. Something is very wrong. And it could very, very well be that you don't have the Spirit. And Paul says in that same passage, anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of this. You don't belong to him. And it could be that your, your Christian life feels dry and fruitless like a like an endless time in the wilderness because you're not even there to start with there's no life in you paul is uh, jesus is going to say the same thing at the beginning of chapter 15. divine the branches right every branch in me that does not bear fruit the father cuts it off and it withers and then it's thrown into the fire which is interesting because there's a withering process that happens to people who once acclaimed, claimed an affiliation with Jesus, but they've been cut off, and then they wither in this life, and then they're cast 
and judgment next. Okay? But every branch in me that bears fruit, what? Father leaves alone. It's like, hey, no, no. Same word. It cuts it, prunes it. It's translated prune, but it's the same word. But he's cutting it in a different way. And guess what his shears are? Verse 3, you are already clean because the, that's the same word. You are already pruned because of the word that I've spoken to you. The word of God, the Father uses the word of God to prune you and to help you be more fruitful. So if you're not being fruitful, you could be a branch that's withered. Ready for the Let's uh, close in prayer. We're out of time. <clears throat> Father, heavy, heavy words. And yet, delightful words, depending on which side of that we are. And uh, just reminded of how serious this is. Um, we, as hard as it might be to hear, now is the time to find out whether we're saved or not. We don't want to be those who stand before you in Matthew, as, as recorded in Matthew 7, saying, Lord, Lord, only to hear, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now is the time for us to find out. I know that's been a big, big thing with John lately, and he's right. You know, I think as he's getting near the end of his, it's been really the heartbeat of his ministry uh, for decades. Is the same thing that the church is full of a lot of people who claim an affiliation with Jesus, but they are dead branches who aren't bearing fruit, who aren't, who don't have the life of God in them. And so, may that not be true of us here at this church and may we also then in turn um, be a witness that you might use in the lives of other people to call them to a serious serious examination of themselves to repent of sin and enter into life where there is security and then to grow in that so that you are effective and not stumbling around and, and doubting and, and feeling like a, a dry fruitless branch um, that, that uh, is not really doing anything or going anywhere, but that we are uh, growing in our assurance as believers. Drive this home to our hearts today by your spirit, your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.